you are now listening to Real Matters of the Heart, the podcast where we say life is all about chances and you can determine how many you take, but not how many you get. I am your host, Joy. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I'm here once again with my friend, Liana, who has been on the show before. I believe you were on episode eight. Talked about fear. Yeah, we talked about fear, which was one of my favorite episodes. Episode number eight called The F Word. If you have not listened yet, please go back and check that out. Today, we are switching gears just a little bit. And I think it's such a timely episode that we're doing with everything that's going on. I've been seeing this huge Me Too campaign on social media. And if you are on social media, I'm sure you've seen it as well. And just to kind of recap a little bit, it's all about women who are speaking up and sharing their stories of having been sexually harassed or abused or in any way misused. Um, And they're sharing their stories about what has happened and it's popping up everywhere. And what I've been seeing, especially this morning when I logged on, was how many men particularly are surprised by the numbers of women who are coming forward with their stories. And I'm surprised about how surprised they are. Because I'm like, have y'all not been paying attention? Have you not seen how we women are objectified constantly, which on some level um, normalizes and really, if we're being honest, sort of gives permission to people Um, Because we internalize this, so it's men and women who sexualize people. And it's not just women, but I think right now the focus is on women because of everything that's going on in the news with Harvey Weinstein and just people and stuff in general. So the conversation is starting here with women, but my hope is that it will sort of broaden and we can talk about just the misuse of sexual energy and power, if you will, because that's ultimately what this boils down to. Sexual abuse and harassment ultimately is less about the sex and more about the power. Um, And we'll talk maybe a little bit about that too. But I'm here with Liana and specifically today, my thought, and I want to hear from you, Liana, on this, but my thought is that a large part of one, the surprise, but two, just the incident itself, itself and like why women are being harassed and abused sexually is because we are not seen as sexual beings unless someone else is in control of that. And so the moment we begin to express our sexuality, the assumption is that we are inviting anyone and everyone who's interested to then be participating in that sexuality and that we don't have the power or the right to determine, yes, I am a sexual being. That does not mean that I'm inviting you to have sex with me. And when we do turn it down, it becomes an issue of, oh, then you were a tease and you were asking for it and you wore this and you showed up in this place and you acted like this. And that meant that you wanted sex. And it's like, I get to be a sexual being. And that doesn't mean that you get to determine when that sex actually happens. And when we separate these two concepts of women being sexual, but also having control over that sexuality, that's where the issue comes in. And so I think that anytime a woman expresses her sexuality, it becomes this sort of thing where men think, oh, well, she wants it or she wanted it. And no, (laughs) like just no. And I think that's why a lot of people are like surprised because of a lot of the women who are coming forth and sharing their stories, you probably had a picture in your mind of what kind of woman they are and you just never thought it would happen to them or whatever the stories are that you are telling yourselves about what's going on. Because again, in my mind, if you are at all paying attention, you see what's happening to women constantly. Walking down the street, how we're projected and how we are objectified and how we are portrayed in media from television to movie to to magazine, like I'm surprised by how surprised people are at the numbers of women coming forward. But I'm also, and again, we're going to talk about this later, wanting the conversation to broaden because if we're going to talk about the number of women who are being abused, we have to talk about the number of men who are doing the abusing. Hmm. And that is the important part of the conversation that if we don't address it, we're basically just re-traumatizing ourselves by telling all the stories of all the times we've been violated Mm -hmm. without holding the people who are doing those things to us accountable for their actions. Mm -hmm. So that's where I'm at with this. So thank you so much for being on. I'm thanking you in advance for your transparency because I know how this is going to (laughs) go. I mean, there's no point in doing it if I'm not going to be honest. Right, right, right. So I just want... 
you to start wherever you feel like you need to start. I mean, I know you already had your YouTube series. Well, I'll start. First of all, thank you for having me, Joy. Um, I would say that my story is unique, but I don't know. I don't know all the stories out there. So mm. someone may be able to listen to it and resonate with it a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure there's others who don't. But I'll start. You said a lot. And <laughs> just different things jumped out at me. Mm-hmm. And I thought about um, the other day was International Day of the Girl, you yeah. know. And um, why am I getting emotional? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, girls go through a lot. And yeah. women who were girls and women who are now women still dealing with what happened to the girl and her. And, mm-hmm. you know, and so when we think about these little girls that we have the power to impact their world right now. So maybe mm-hmm. they're not dealing with some, not just the girls, but the boys who are affecting the girls and the girls who are affecting the boys, right? But we're speaking specifically about the journey of the girl. Um, My friend put up a post on her Instagram and it says, um, you know, people always say like boys will be boys, but it Mm -hmm. says boys will be, and it crosses out the word boys and says held accountable for their fucking actions. And I, it just really resonated with me because the truth of the matter is we start really young, especially for me, I was raised in the church. And so I know the theme and the conversations. And even in the church, there's this ideal or this desire for us to remain virgins until we're married. Mm -hmm. But what they do is they teach girls to stay, you know, virgins. And they have a realistic expectation of them to be so. And I mean realistic. They teach you to be virgins and then they expect you to actually be a virgin. (laughs) They teach boys to be virgins and they don't expect them to be virgins. Mm -hmm. And so they'll say like... But my, in my mind, outside of, you know, the gay and homosexual community, who do they think girls are having sex with? Exactly. exactly. So to, to, to impose this idea of that a girl is supposed to be a certain way, but then don't hold the boys to those same standards, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's setting them up to fail and it's setting them up for shame. Right. And so even as a child, girls are shamed for a very long time for having sex and boys are given condoms or techniques on how to be good at it right wow so what i hear you saying is that there's already starting very very young a discrepancy in in the conversation that we're having about sex with our children Mm -hmm. and i would agree with you 100 percent. that boys will be boys thing is like crazy to me i remember when i was young i was like in third grade there was a little boy named Dwayne, and we would literally fight probably once a week Mm -hmm. full-blown fist fight to the point where like the people on the yard, janitors or whoever was kind of just tending to the yard where we would be playing. It just It wasn't even a thing where we got in trouble and went to the office anymore because it was just like... That's what they do. This they, is what they, they do, they right? Really but what what we were fighting because he would often just do things to me. I know where this is going. Uh, you know, and they weren't necessarily sexual in nature because we were eight and I don't know that at the time we even realized what that was, but he would just annoy the crap and out of me. And he felt like he had access to you. Yeah, he would just annoy the mess out of me. And I would just get so fed up that I would just, we would just go at it, right? And I remember at some point in this process going into the office, actually a lady a woman saying to me, "Oh, he just likes, he just you. likes you." I knew that was gone, and yeah. I was like, mm. "And that at the time I'm eight or however old I'm, I am in third grade, and and so I don't get it. But as an adult, I'm like, no, it's not okay mm-hmm. for us to basically groom." And socialize young boys and girls to think that like a, when a little boy likes a little girl or when a man likes a woman, that it's okay for him to touch her, do abusive things, space, whatever, whatever that may be. for access to her. Exactly. She doesn't have the right to say no. Or even like I, it's even now as an adult, I think I try to think of the safest way to turn a man down. Yeah. And here's the thing on the flip side of that. You're teaching the little boy that it's okay for him to violate a girl in certain ways if he likes her. And you're teaching the little girl to read violations as affection. Being liked. Yeah. And that's a problem. Yes. And then we and then you get a, you grow up and you're in the abusive relationship and everybody's calling you stupid for staying. Yeah. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Yeah. Was, there's a disconnect. Mm-hmm. Because when I was eight, you told me he just liked me and that was why he was poking me and prodding me and doing all these annoying little things. Mm-hmm. And so when I got older and he punched me, mm-hmm. I thought that meant he loved me. Mm-hmm. And you're telling me that I need to leave? I don't get it. Which one is it? Yeah. So 
And that may sound like an extreme extrapolation, but it's not. Mm -hmm. Because you have to understand that progressively what's happening throughout this little girl's life, as she's becoming a woman, she's accepting more and more violence and abuse Mm -hmm. and misuse in violation of her being, whether it's her emotional being, her mental being, or her physical or her sexual being. She's accepting it because someone told her that's how men express. Mm -hmm. And it's not their fault that no one ever taught them how to deal with Mm -hmm. their feelings. And so we need to be more understanding. It's not my responsibility to be understanding of your malfunction Mm -hmm. and your pathologies. Mm -hmm. It's not my responsibility. Mm -hmm. That's your shit, bro. Mm -hmm. I thoroughly agree. Or we... we, um we normalize their behaviors to be the way that men are so that when we encounter men that are not like that we're so in awe of them right. we're so like he's not the norm mm-hmm. we label him as an exceptional man and i think you know in general when i'm looking at the big picture i realize how often we're so um accustomed to this dysfunction and this um problem mm-hmm. that we expect it out of men and so we, we start to create these boundaries for ourselves to protect ourselves. And so sometimes it's very hard for us then as women mm-hmm. to let those boundaries down and mm-hmm. try to na- uh, navigate the, those of us women who um, desire to be in heterosexual relationships to mm-hmm. navigate that space right. in finding a man um, because it's not safe anymore. And I just I did. I know we kind of brushed over it when you said it earlier, but I do want to revisit that. that You said that you now have to concern yourself with what is the safest way way to turn down a man. And that is such a problem that you making a decision for yourself has to be contingent upon protecting the ego of a man who was never entitled to you in the first place. Like, I can say no, and me saying no should not mean that I am now in danger Mm -hmm. of you doing something because your feelings are hurt, Mm -hmm. that I don't want to talk to you or be Mm -hmm. with you or spend time with you. Or Or even men. That's crazy to me. They're so unaware of our realities as women that they don't think to themselves, should I approach her right now? For example, if I'm leaving an event, I remember leaving this event at West Angeles Church and now it's like 10, 11 o'clock at night Mm -hmm. and I'm crossing the street and this man is trying to holler at me Mm -hmm. at 10, 11 o'clock at night. I'm on the corner. I'm thinking to myself, if you were aware of what it's like to be a woman Mm -hmm. in this day and time, it wouldn't even be worth you approaching me right now because I feel very unsafe. Mm -hmm. And you... Don't even know what it's like to feel that unsafe. That for you is there's a beautiful woman. Let me try to holler at her. Right, right, right. So they rarely even take themselves out of our uh, out of their own experiences and even try to consider what it may like be like for me to feel very vulnerable in this moment. Mm -hmm. It's dark. There's no one around. Mm -hmm. I'm a couple of blocks away from the building so that I can get an Uber. Mm Because if you're real close to event, it's hard for you to get an Uber. All these things I'm doing and he's not considering. All he thinks about is let me holler at her right now. And I realized so many things of like they don't they don't they don't have to think about. Right. They don't have to think about why this is dangerous, why I'm grabbing my pepper spray right now. Why I'm telling you I'm good and you're being aggressive right now. And it's making, it's my anxiety levels are rising. And you may be a perfectly good guy. Right. The thing about it is the irony, right, of this conversation. We are overly concerned with the thoughts and feelings of the men who are trying to address us. And so we're trying to say no without hurting their egos or without, and we're doing all this you know, gymnastics in our mind about how to honor what we're thinking and feeling, but without hurting your feelings. Mm -hmm. But then on the flip side, you are none the wiser about what may be going on with Mm -hmm. me Mm -hmm. when you approach me. Mm -hmm. Like you're not even, it's not Not even on your mind to maybe consider Mm -hmm. that I could be nervous. And I really don't care about hurting your feelings. I care about your hurt feelings turning into something that's dangerous. Exactly. Exactly. But that's what I'm saying. Like the, we got to go through all these mind Jedi mind tricks. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> to figure out how I'm going to tell you, yeah. no, nah, I'm good. You're going to cuss me out now? You're going to call me a bitch? You're going to tell me I think I'm better than you? Right. Gonna, on the flip side, for me, so it, it what, you're going to you're gonna start questioning my virginity. Oh, you must be one of them Christian girls. You're this, you're that. It's like, it's you need a reason why I didn't want you. Right. And that needed to turn into a, an attack against me. Mm-hmm. You know, but... um. I'll go, I'll go back a little bit. My progression and mm-hmm. um, my processing and even like dealing with like being a woman, being a pastor, sexuality, mm-hmm. um, 
being a sexual being, understanding my hormones, understanding my sex drives, mm-hmm. all these things were very progressive for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting because I feel like as third, as a 30-year-old woman, I'm starting to experience things over the past couple years, maybe 10 years, 7 to 10 years mm-hmm. that maybe peers of mine have experienced it for a long time and I think that has a lot to do with my journey with obesity mm-hmm. it wasn't that I was less than a woman now that I, re- I realize that now but mm-hmm. I think women are sexualized a lot by the attractiveness of their body absolutely that was both put on me and I internalized I wasn't attractive um, I didn't use this language the mm-hmm. same, but the language that I'm, I'm going to use, like I wasn't as much of a woman as other women. Mm-hmm. I didn't think this then. I'm just processing now mm-hmm. what I was experiencing then. Right, right, right. And um, even my mom, I love my mom to death, but you know <laughs> we all have our stuff. Right, right, right. So I, I think would juxtapose me to my sister. Mm. And so it would be little things like my sister wasn't allowed to take public transportation because she was small. Mm-hmm. And my mom felt she was vulnerable and she didn't want anything to happen to her. However, my mom would allow me, almost tell me, you know, to take the bus. Mm-hmm. Um, and she'll say things like, you know, Lily, you'll be fine. You can, you know, you can defend yourself. So for a very young, mm-hmm. at a young age, it, it started to create up maybe like high school. Mm-hmm. It started to Which create. Which is young. That's yeah. young. Yeah. Yeah. This idea in me that I wasn't um, vulnerable, mm. um, that I wasn't like other women fast forward Mm -hmm. to when i lost a lot of weight that first year it wasn't even this public thing it wasn't this journey that i was announcing it was i am desperate and i gotta do something i gotta fight for my life yeah i wasn't talking to other people about my journey but people would come up to me and say things to me you know like you know oh man you're losing a lot of weight you better watch out men are gonna start flocking this and that one and first of all, mm, wow. first of all, I didn't start this journey about men. I had to save my life. Mm-hmm. Did I want to feel attractive and did it? But first of all, why do we define attractiveness or feeling beautiful based on what a man has to say to me? Girl, right. That, that is a whole separate podcast episode. But Women I hear what you're did saying. this to me. Yeah, I okay? was, and I was going to make that point because I knew that already. For something in me already knew. That it was women who were coming up to you and saying that, which again, they've internalized just something. a reflection right. of how much we have internalized this idea of our sexual objectification. Mm-hmm. Like we perpetuate it mm-hmm. now. And I defined, and I'm thinking of this now, part of being a woman is being objectified. Mm-hmm. I was not objectified as a kid. Mm-hmm. I was not objectified growing up as some of the other mm-hmm. girls on the bus, even the other girls at school, by what the boys were doing. Kind of like your story, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. I had other issues. Mm-hmm. I was being made fun of being fat. I was dealing with my own issues of obesity and how that took over my life. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't being objectified by boys the same way other girls were. Growing up, wasn't objectified by boys the same way other teenagers were and other young women. So... What I viewed as attention from boys was really, not all of it, some of it was good attention, healthy, you know, hormones, friendship. Yeah. I have male friends, all of them are brothers, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, specifically, for example, my sister, mm-hmm. that was a woman's experience, right? Mm. I didn't see, my mom saying, Lily, you can take the bus, but your sister can't because of your size created this distance between me and my sister and I associate that with me not being like other women. Right. And other women were vulnerable. So I, as I started to lose my weight and for women to say to me, you know, oh man, the boys are gonna start flocking and the men are gonna start, we gotta watch out for you. And I'm sure they meant that innocently, right? Mm-hmm. But what did that communicate to me was something different, mm-hmm. especially when I started experiencing men whistling at me, mm-hmm. men just getting too close in my proximity mm-hmm. at the gas station, me having to look over my shoulder, me, mm-hmm. you know, like, honestly, my first experiences of men paying me attention were not healthy attention, mm-hmm. you know? And so one, and I'm frustrated because I'm like, this is not what I was desiring. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Right, right, like, right. this is not what I wanted. You know what I'm saying? But, but I started to experience as I lost weight 
as my figure started to show more, as I started to feel more comfortable in my own body, mm-hmm. what that equated was men feeling comfortable about commenting on my body. Exactly. Men feeling comfortable about getting way too close to me. Mm-hmm. Even I went on a date recently and I don't know why he felt it was appropriate or acceptable to kiss my neck, to start rubbing my leg. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like, what made you think that you immediately had access to my body? Right. And it happened so quickly. It was like, is this your norm? It also is frustrating because to your other point, I'm a pastor, right? And mm-hmm. so it's it's difficult. And I think women struggle with this period, especially women who are raised in religious communities because I don't thought, think we're taught a healthy perspective of our bodies and our sexuality. Mm-hmm. So while we're over here fighting off men handling us inappropriately, we also would like the permission to handle our own bodies however the hell we want to. Exactly. Without exactly. being told when you wear that, When your cleavage is out like that, you are bringing on unwanted attention. Right. And it's almost as if it is my responsibility to teach a man how to control himself. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And at the same time, how do I love my body? How do I wear those jeans that I really like the way they accentuate my legs and I feel beautiful in them? Or, you know, if I want to wear a low-cut shirt or if Mm -hmm. I want to wear certain things and being told that that's not modest enough or that's not you know pastorly you need to be example what if the example i want to be is to tell young women they can wear and dress and be as comfortable as they want to be and that it's not your responsibility to tell a man not to touch you right or to comment on you inappropriately why is it my responsibility to pad this very very sick pathological dysfunctional patriarchal culture that we have existed in for generations. Why is it my responsibility to keep that torch burning? Yeah. It's not. But think about it. For example, when they wear sweatpants, certain men, hey, you come can on, see tell that it. stuff. But you don't see women walking up to men saying, I see your dick. You might want to, <laughs> you know, uh, work that right. out before I come grabbing it. Right. Or you're asking for right. stuff. You know what I'm saying? Wow. For male friends of mine who I love dearly, they are not, I mean, you at church with those sweatpants. Right. And, you, and women don't, we see it, we commenting on right, it, right. whatever. But it's not something that we are socially uh, allowed right. to just then, therefore, be aggressive about. Right. No, do I think not we should. It's not exactly. Ex- just like it's not acceptable exactly. for them to do that to us. And that's the point that I was going to make. It's not about we should have the freedom to also violate you. That's not the point. The point is, if it's going to be a street, it needs to be a two-way street. Mm-hmm. And it's not that we want to be able to freely violate people, mm-hmm. male or female. It's just that we want to be respected. And I want to be, be able to express my sexuality because I'm a human being and it's a real thing. Mm-hmm. And not be told that the moment I do, I'm inviting inappropriate behavior that is going to violate me. Mm-hmm. Like, I should be able to be sexual and be still in charge of what that sexuality looks like, how Mm -hmm. I experience that sexuality. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't have to be that I hide my sexuality for the sake of protecting myself from your unwanted advances because here's the gotcha gotcha. It doesn't matter what the hell I have on. If you're going to be a nasty ass pervert, you're going to do that anyway. So it's not about the decisions I make. It's about you and your self-control. And the moment we begin to have that honest conversation, that's when shit is going to shift. Yeah. Because before that, we're talking in circles about something that's really not the issue. Yeah. And it becomes, again, to your point about me hiding more and more of myself, whether that be my physical self and covering up or my emotional self Mm -hmm. and being expressive about what my desires are or whatever that is, hiding more and more of myself to protect your nonsense and your inability to be responsible for who you are and how you're showing up in the world. Mm -hmm. It's like, what are we really doing here? Well, a friend of mine suggested on on, on, uh, social media, she said, if we're going to have the Me Too campaign, then we need to have the It Was Me campaign. Mm -hmm. Because if women are going to be telling their stories of being violated, then the men who are doing the violating need to also be sharing their stories. If we're going to be brave and courageous to re-traumatize ourselves by telling the stories of when we experience whatever things that happened to us, then somebody needs to step up and say, yes, I did that. Yeah. I own that. Right. I'm responsible for that. Or I, I witnessed that. I was there and I said nothing. And men need to lead that conversation. Exactly. 
they need to leave that and otherwise we're talking in circles and and like i said we're just telling our painful stories over and over and over again digging up those things that a lot of us have probably buried which thankfully because it's not it's not good or healthy to bury it either but like once i dig it up then what well here's the deal it it then it it then turns into a conversation of teaching women how to protect themselves Mm -hmm. instead of teaching men how not to violate women exactly just like when we have these conversations and not that that's what this podcast is about but just to give an example the issue isn't teaching black boys how to survive police encounters right it's dealing with the racism embedded in our systems and in white people and in this country that even present those circumstances in the first place exactly so are both needed right now absolutely because i want my kids to survive those encounters right that's that's the immediate solution to know as best as they can how to avoid dangerous dangerous situations as best Mm -hmm. as they can but it's not their problem that the danger is present exactly and that's what the conversations need to shift to Mm -hmm. why are we presented with the dangerous uh, situations that need to be avoided in the first place right why do i walk around with pepper spray the men that i know don't right you know what i'm saying like why are these the realities that we have to endure Mm -hmm. as women and that's because men are not being held accountable and are not being taught mm-hmm. as men. And so what we're going to keep having are survivor stories. Exactly. And we're going to tell women how strong and brave they are for telling their stories when the conversation should be about why these stories need to stop existing. I don't go to men's conferences and workshops and podcasts and all this stuff. <laughs> so I don't know what the hell they talk about when right. we're not there. Right. But this is my thing. These older men need to step up, like you said, and be like, listen, I used to violate women. Mm-hmm. And these are the ways that it started. Or I still violate women. Or I women. still violate women. But at least <laughs> some of the ones that may have overcome. Or, right, right. Or, or, or still do it right and able to acknowledge yeah. that it doesn't start off with rape. It doesn't. It starts off when you thought it was okay to touch her leg. When you thought it was okay to grab her booty. When you thought, like, it, that's where it started. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing, and and that to the point that I was making, and even saying the men who still do it is that I think I think a lot of these men don't even realize that what they're doing. I mean, short of like a violent, intentional rape where you just she's flat out screaming no, and you just are doing that's very different. But I mean, to your point earlier about the gentleman you were on a date with who was rubbing your thigh and kissing your neck, like on some level he probably thought that that was romantic, mm-hmm. or that it was, you know, simply him expressing how attractive you are to him mm-hmm. or whatever thing he was telling himself in his mind about why that was okay. Mm-hmm. And not that he was even having a very explicit conversation. He probably wasn't even ever going, is this okay? Let me try it and see. He probably not. just did it because to your point, is this your norm? I'm sure. I'm sure it is. Mm-hmm. I'm sure this is my MO. Mm-hmm. Right? And and I, I thought it was okay because whatever the Rico Suave but think sort about of the thing is. Of the song, though. We're, 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 our bodies are, we've been taught overtly and just through passive means. As women, our job is to please men. Sexually and all these, and, and, and it's just like a good sexual encounter was that he was pleased. And even Mm. if you talked about earlier, I think you mentioned it, like the power dynamics, Mm -hmm. even if he was excited about the fact, I'm not trying to be too explicit or whatever, that he made you come or he gave you an orgasm, Mm -hmm. it was still about what he was able to To cause you to do, to accomplish in you. And not for every single man on the face of this earth, Mm -hmm. but that is what I I see, that's what I feel, that's what I, you Mm. know, women really, I even saw a TED talk not too long ago of a lady I think you sent it to me mm-hmm. it was a lady talking about young girls and the role of our vaginas and what we've been taught mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. from a young age about the purpose of our vaginas right. and right, right. you know um, mm-hmm. even seeing our vaginas as being something labeling how as a young kid we don't really talk about our label girls vaginas but boys their penises are, are labeled and given a name and, and yeah. are, are seen as something right. they're a part of them they are an, an important aspect and we're more so shamed and we kind of cover up and mm-hmm. we do these things. boys aren't you know and so for a very long time it's been embedded in us mm-hmm. to such a degree that we teach it to each other now yeah absolutely and that's the scary part is that you know 
we teach, you know, that, that, you know, um, sexually satisfying a man, you know, is part of our power. You know, and it's and it's and it's oh, really built into girl. you know, even <laughs> as much as I love insecure, there was an episode where they talked about I'm not against giving, you know, man head. But the girl was adamant about it being part of our power right. to to satisfy them in these ways. Wow. You yeah. know, and yeah. um I just it still goes back to them being pleased. Right. right. Them being satisfied and them be believing that our bodies are for their pleasure. You talked about t- we teach each other. Oh, yeah. And so let's kind of rewind a little bit of getting back to your story. Because this is a conversation you and I have had in the past about how we teach about sex, particularly in the context of religion and in Christian church. Or the lack thereof. Right. <laughs> the fact that we don't teach about sex. Exactly. And so we had this conversation and, I, you know, we were talking about how it's like this thing where for so long and you touched on it earlier we're taught don't do it don't do it don't do it and not only don't do it but you know how how we're nasty if we yeah. do and how yeah. we're wrong how we're yeah. whores and how it's so bad and wrong and all these things but then all of a sudden we're told that once we're married not only is it good it's like our job our to your point like yeah. now it becomes our job to keep him sexually satisfied mm-hmm. so how do i go from thinking for however many years between birth in marriage that sex is wrong bad and nasty and i'm wrong bad and nasty for desiring it and then one day i put on a gown and i have a ceremony i'm supposed to wake up the next day and be excited about sex and all the different ways my husband wants to do it yeah where there's such a huge disconnect and to your point there is no conversation in church around sex and sexuality that is healthy that says here are reasons why it may be a great idea to wait Mm mm-hmm but mm-hmm. there's also other functions of sexuality and let's talk about it in a way that when you do get to the place where hopefully you wait but then you get married let's talk about all the ways that you get to enjoy sex because you get to enjoy sex you woman get to enjoy sex and not just for the purpose of being an orifice for your husband mm-hmm. which to your point i think we don't talk about our vaginas because of the cultural and social norms but also I think there's a physiological piece of like it is hidden Mm -hmm. and that Mm -hmm. men's penises are out Mm -hmm. and about Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. where ours are hidden and so it's easier to not talk about it Mm -hmm. and so we and we choose not to I agree um and so there's that but so getting back sort of to that conversation and then inserting your personal experience as a pastor who is now tasked with on some level because I believe you desire to changing that conversation Mm -hmm. and because I also know you um, to be a storyteller Uh and a large part of how you teach and lead as a pastor comes from your experience in your life. Well, here's my, here's my conflict. Okay. Well, there's a lot of things you said. (laughs) I kind of like try to touch on. Here's one of my conflicts about, well, I'll I'll make a, a note and I'll come back to it. I think the conversation about not having sex or the way it's held actually perpetuates women not talking about when they've been abused or even knowing that they've been abused. Mm-hmm. Because if we're going to talk about sex at all, we yeah. definitely can't talk about when I had this sexual encounter that I feel some kind of way about, you know, because I'm supposed to be putting up this facade right, right, that right. I'm not having sex anyway. Right, right, right. That I'm not sexually engaged at all. So I can't even talk about things that I'm questioning or I'm concerned about or mm. encounters I may have had that felt some kind of way or this mm-hmm. boy did this or that because you, you, you've completely shut off the conversation in general. About sex, yeah. About sex, sexuality, my body. Just don't do it. Wait till you're married. And then also, am I blaming myself yes. for that? Did I did I somehow exactly. invite it? Okay, but so. you can't have that conversation with people right, right, that right. they only talk to you about don't do it. Right, exactly. So there's that. So, and then, and I'll get back to that, but I think the conflict that I have because yes I'm a pastor but I'm I'm a pastor um underneath the an institution of church so mm-hmm. it always becomes the question of how progressive is your leadership or what can you say what can't you say because technically this is still my job right mm-hmm. so what do I say to the people under the context of this being my job mm-hmm. you know which means I have to have conversations with my leadership and really see where their heart are to see how far I can go with this mm-hmm. versus doing this podcast or my own stuff right because right. my own stuff is my stuff right but the majority of my constituency and when i'm dealing with these kids or these youth or my teenagers my young adults can i have real life conversations with you guys 
that may seem to be um, an oxymoron or whatever. Or so conflicting. Conflicting, so, yeah, right? Yeah, conflicting. Yeah. So, like, how do I talk about, you know, um, sex and sexuality when the expectations for me just to tell them don't have sex? You know, which I think, um, but but even then, let's say we talk about don't have sex, right? Mm-hmm. The church still or historically has not done a good, first of all, we do stupid things in my opinion and someone's going to be offended, <laughs> but that like true love waits. Why are we having 12 and 13 and 14 year olds vowing to God that they will never have sex till they're married? Talk about pressure. Mm, right. How about you just talk to them about the beauty of sex? Talk mm-hmm. about the beauty of their bodies. Teach mm-hmm. them about the it's 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 special and it's sacred and why they should wait That's versus huge. That's huge. versus having these wedding ceremonies to Jesus. Like what is, is this? Is that happening in real life? Oh heck yeah. So here's the deal. I did not grow up in church in the sense of like we went every Sunday and we were there all day and all the things. I, I, that was not my life. And I remember when I first started going to church as an adult and I was really beginning to understand my relationship with God that I would sometimes say that oh I wish I knew this so much sooner and I would sometimes say I wish I did grow up in church because I felt like on some level there was like a head start that people got that when they understood their relationship to God um, sooner, right? Mm -hmm. And But then I hear stories like this Mm -hmm. and I'm like, thank you God, God <laughs> that I wasn't well, it's there for that because it's just, Joy. it's that's like, I can't even I mean, I have my own stuff around sex, my own like internal conversations that I needed to break through and that I am still breaking through um, around sex. But I can't imagine if they were like compounded by also you married Jesus. Yeah, and it's so, like the spark of your hormone, like, the stage, and you have these like kids committing or vowing to these things that they don't have a concept of yet. Like yeah. how are you making commitments to something that like you are not really faced with yet? Yeah, you know? And yeah. I'm not saying that you can't teach them like anything else. But here's the problem with a lot of uh, women in the church and, and, and men too, but what they're not doing. They're not saying, this is what I went through. This is how I was scarred. No, they're telling you not to do something when the majority of them have done it. Right. And they're, and they're telling you to make these vows and commitments instead of just sharing their journeys with you. Mm-hmm. Because I'm a lot more p- impacted by a person's transparency mm-hmm. than I am by a ceremony. Right. And by being beat over my head uh, with laws and rules and regulations, mm-hmm. you know, you, and so then what it does is creates this unhealthy view of sex, like you mentioned mm-hmm. before, that is bad, that is dirty, that is not good. Even we joke around and use language like doing the nasty. Why do right. we label it as nasty? My goodness, girl. right? Now yeah. the church has a role to play. The secular world has a role to play too. Mm-hmm. What they've done with the sexualization of, of people's bodies in a way mm-hmm. that has taken away it's it from being sacred. It has mm-hmm. taken away from it being something special and beautiful and it's made it marketable and it's mm-hmm. made it a, a tool and a thing, and especially mm-hmm. with women. But it's, it happens with men too, mm-hmm. you know? And so there is a role to play over there. I'm just saying the church has gone to the other extreme. Mm-hmm. So they, they have, because they're so afraid of us being coming like whatever they think the secular world has presented sex to be, they have too lied about what God said about us. Mm. It is a lie. God says it's beautiful. God made it. God wants right. us to enjoy it. I'm sorry. He didn't give me, you know, uh, these Horm- uh, these stimulants and this, this, this body and all this stuff if he didn't want me to experience it. Right. Now, we can talk about a proper context or a healthy context. Exactly. But this this negative view of it is mm-hmm. just not... It, the church hasn't done a good job. People have rebelled. Mm-hmm. Rebelled with no compass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So what happens is they That's rebel cool. with no compass and then they become or experience the exact things you've been trying, I guess, to teach us to avoid. But what happens then, we don't come back to you and have conversations about it. Because we feel like we can't. We can't. You've never made it safe. You've made it only a, a, a product of shame. But here's the other problem. What about us that are become that are virgins? Not every, not every virgin is like this, but I'm going to speak for myself and some of my peers that I know who are virgins. Mm-hmm. First of all, the church has taught us to um, be self-righteous about our virginity. Mm-hmm. So it's this idea that like I am more or spiritually in some other category. Yeah, yeah. There's like a hierarchy did, because I preserve myself. And let's talk, don't even talk about what is or is not sex. That's a whole nother conversation, right? Oof. Is it because I didn't have intercourse? What if I did all kinds of other things? Right, right. Are those things okay too? 
are they off limits? What what is the com- what is sex? Right, 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 right. So there's that conversation, but then when it's put it's creating some level of self righteousness, but it's also create position fear around it. Mm-hmm. A lot of girls are not not having sex because they want to be what God wants them to be. It's just it's been be- embedded in you, been taught, and now actually you're afraid of this thing because you've been so far removed from it mm-hmm. that that even when you become married, for some of my friends that I know that have become married. They're having sexual anxiety. I told you. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Or they don't even feel psychologically like it's acceptable yet. Is there not? That's what I'm saying. Like, I'm supposed to magically wake up after my wedding ceremony and be hyped to do all the sexual things that my husband wants me to do that you're now telling me I'm responsible for Mm -hmm. fulfilling, even though literally 48 hours ago before the ceremony, I was supposed to sex was wrong, bad, and nasty. Like, I don't understand. I do believe that part of relationship is... You know, and this is everyday relationship. There are some things just in life that, like, you do because you know that this makes this other person happy mm-hmm. and you love them and you want to make them happy. Because I don't think there's anything pleasurable <laughs> about a woman giving a man hair. But if you know that this makes him right. happy, to, but because we come from such a distorted view of what women's roles are it is hard for us to say I'm going to give my man head because it makes him happy you know and when you're battling Mm -hmm. this paradigm that says your role is to make men happy right and so the thing (laughs) about that is I have heard women say I'm going to do this because it makes him happy and it's usually though from the perspective of because it makes him happy and so to your point earlier now I'm going to have this power Mm -hmm. because I do this thing that he Mm -hmm. likes that kind of makes him weak or whatever Mm -hmm. the thing is and that's not always the context and there are some women who are like I just love giving head and I'm just like do you really or do you love it because you think you're supposed to love it because that's what Mm -hmm. men like women who love Mm -hmm. giving head like there's all these layers to it and I I don't want to like pathologize everybody because maybe there are women who are just like this is my thing this is my jam and that's what I do and there's okay like you know what I mean but the thing is it's like where where because then if this is just your jam and you just love giving your man whoever head like is there a space in the world where it's okay for you to say that without some man then trying to shove his stuff in your mouth because you said that's what you like to do yeah and that's what I'm saying about the psycho back to the 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 emphasizing like sex is sacred it's such a big part of like giving up myself to this other person Mm -hmm. you know and now i'm now i'm saying everyone doesn't view it like that and Mm -hmm. i think part of it may be because of the damage societally that has taken place and maybe even some of the sexual abuse Mm -hmm. that has happened to people over time that they have learned to detach themselves from its from value, that, yeah, yeah. from its yeah, value, sure. that doesn't mean the value is still there because it's seen, it's not seen properly. Yeah, I was you just know? having this conversation with my friend the other day, and I was just telling her, like, <laughs> I was like, you know, I have told dudes before, like, th- listen, it's a limit. Mm-hmm. It, there's no such thing as casual sex for mm-hmm. me. Like, after. After about two or three times, we go together, bro. Mm -hmm. Like, because whether you know it or not. Mm -hmm. And so that's just me, though, being honest about, like, I, I cannot remove the emotional element. But for me, that's where the conversation around waiting... Mm-hmm. when I have it yeah, I don't want, I want to say should start but yeah. when I have it with the girls that I mentor mm-hmm. I talk about the conversation I, I speak about waiting from the perspective of there are other elements of mm-hmm. sex that beyond the physical act of it yeah. that unless you are mature enough and you know, self aware enough to be able to navigate those spaces and make sound decisions mm-hmm. then you're going to want to wait because emotionally socially even psychologically there are other elements that mm-hmm. you get sucked into by default when you begin to engage in the sexual act know? of sex and that's when what that i'm is. and that's what i'm saying and so that's what i'm saying about when when you're talking about the conversation of waiting it's not necessarily that you're ever going to know that now I'm mature enough to know that mm-hmm. I can handle it or whatever. But if you wait until you're older and at least have given yourself a chance to engage with somebody on a level without having the mm-hmm. interference of the mm-hmm. sexual intercourse, mm-hmm. then you at least be a little bit more informed Alert, about the yeah. decisions that you're making as opposed to getting yourself tied up with them physically mm-hmm. and then having that cloud your vision in other areas of your life mm-hmm. because you're trying to navigate this 
having already engaged in this way and become connected to them in this way mm-hmm. because it, it whoever you are whatever you're doing and with whomever you're doing it mm-hmm. you cannot tell me that there is not some other element that comes with the Absolutely. physical act of sex and so if we're not talking about all of that mm-hmm. and we're not we're not giving the full context of everything and we're just saying don't do it mm-hmm. the very first thing they're going to want to do is it mm-hmm. <laughs> right? right? And so I remember the first time I had a conversation with my mom about sex, and I remember that for me, the first thing that stood out, or the thing that stood out the most, was the social component. Mm-hmm. So when she talked to me about there was the physical pregnancy, STD, all that, mm-hmm. right? And, and she talked to me about like the consequences of sex, right? Is sort of how mm-hmm. she presented it to me, and they weren't necessarily all negative. But the reality of what comes with it. Yeah, it's not just you do sex, right? It's like all these things. And so then it was, there was, you know, the emotional piece and what's going to happen if he says all these things to get you in the bed with him and then he doesn't call you or then how's it going to make you feel? And she kind of walked me through all these just different scenarios of how it could possibly turn out. And I remember distinctly when she said to me, and what if he tells all his friends? And I just remember being like, (gasps) yeah, and for me, that was the moment when I was like, oh, mm-hmm. that can't be. Yeah. And it was largely because I don't want to be known as the hoe. I don't want people know. I didn't want that for myself. So the social component for me was really a huge thing. Mm-hmm. But carry that forward. I was like 16 or 17 years old when we had that conversation. Carry that forward. Now mm-hmm. I'm 35. Mm-hmm. And whatever sexual relationships have happened largely have been based on this idea of like, I don't want to be thought of in this way. Which is still a problem. It is a problem. It's because a huge problem. Men are not, they're praised for their sexual, what exactly. do they call them? Uh, not just encounters, they call them whatever. I can't remember. Like they, you know, they're notches on their belt or their bed or whatever. Yeah. And, and so there conquest. was that. Yeah, conquest for sure. But for me, in my personal experiences, it was going into sexual relationships with this fear and apprehension around something that I desire to do, but not wanting to get engaged because I don't want you to think of me in this mm-hmm. way. And so not having a healthy relationship with my own sexuality because I'm so concerned about what you're going to think about me if mm-hmm. I express it in a particular way. Which goes back to how we label and categorize and view a man having sex versus a woman having sex, even though they're having sex together. Absolutely. We're having the same sex. We're having sex together, <laughs> right. right. We're having the same sex, and yo, know, we live in a society that women were protecting not being seen a certain way mm-hmm. for having sex. Yeah. You know, and it's just... Or ha- for having the kind of sex that we want to have. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. so it, it's all of those, it's all of those things, and it... Just again, going back to sort of reading these stories about the women who have had different experiences and their them being in a position to share and being invited to share and them being willing to do that. It's so I know that there's so much more to mm-hmm. like their personal stories in terms mm-hmm. of beyond the encounter, the encounter and the experience of having been assaulted or abused, harassed or whatever the thing is how that shaped them moving forward their their perception of self their perception of sex their perception of men all of that like all of how that ties in Mm -hmm. and knowing that in addition to the encounter of whatever stories they've shared there's all the other stuff you talked about Mm -hmm. which is the religious factor the social factor the familial you know what your family says about it Mm -hmm. whatever other things shape our perspective and our understanding of what sex and sexuality and sexual experiences are or quote unquote should be mm-hmm. and what that looks like feels like is like mm-hmm. and it's so and it varies so mm-hmm. much it varies so much and so i know again to, to to kind of dip into your story a little bit like i know that you've just been like okay how do i navigate this not engage in whatever but whatever honestly, whatever Joy, i yeah. can't even i don't take a lot of credit for that mm-hmm. and i have a lot of grace in my heart this is my story i may be praised for being a virgin i don't necessarily praise my first of all we define virginity as in of course a penis penetrating me right <laughs> um but um because first of all for the first umpteen years of my life i was not comfortable with my own body I was not engaging with young boys and men the same way. You know, you can't really praise someone for what they don't even have the access to do in the first place. Mm. This is how I feel. Someone mm-hmm. else can So you feel like it me. wasn't a choice. It was I more so like I didn't start choosing until <laughs> about maybe the last 
seven years of my life. I'm okay. 31 years old, okay. you know. And even then, so I lost a whole bunch of weight, but I still wasn't really comfortable with my body. Mm-hmm. And, and it wasn't until, and it's still not really something I'm, I'm choosing in the sense of like, I don't want to have sex with just any old body. Mm-hmm. I know that I can go out and avail myself to have sex with some dudes. So I'm not saying men are not there to have sex with. Right. They're not men I want to have sex with. Right. So I'm still not that girl who's in a relationship and not everyone defines when it's time to have sex the same way. Right, right, right. right. But let's just say for the sake of my values and the friends that I have that I know are fighting in certain ways. Mm -hmm. I am not in a relationship with someone that I love and that I want to share my body with and I'm resisting that. Mm -hmm. So, and for me, that's a context in which that would actually be a real pressure. Right. Right? Right. Resisting for me right now, the... I think would be the strongest because I'm finally at a place where I'm even comfortable with my own body mm-hmm. to even share it with another person. Mm-hmm. The struggle to resist for me, I think would be to be in a loving, committed relationship with somebody that I'm not married to because I do desire to wait till marriage at this point in my life mm-hmm. that I then have to say no to wanting that man. Right. So I think for me right now, it's really like, so that's just intercourse. Do I have struggles and sexual desires and x y and z and yes and i think for me the other thing that i will say that became something i was introduced to was girl i didn't know my own body worked the way that it worked you know what i'm saying so (laughs) learning how to give myself orgasms and learning how to masturbate and that kind of stuff some people see masturbation as good some people say it's bad you shouldn't do it you should Mm. do it especially within religious communities for me There's no scripture that says thou shalt not masturbate. <laughs> However, I do not think healthy and unhealthy is only based on a specific scripture right. being there to say it. Right. right? I right, believe right, that right. Th- part of that also comes down to a personal intimate relationship with God. Right. And know how he's navigating you in that season of your life. Right. So in, in, across the a broad stroke, I will never, ever, 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 ever say that, se- that masturbation is a sin because I don't believe that. Right. You it ha- for every single person, right? I do believe that God talks to specific people in specific seasons of their life and gives them instructions about how to handle their temple. Right? Liana has an addictive personality. Mm-hmm. I think it's 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 it is um, manifested in my battle with food. Mm-hmm. That people that have addictive natures, what they will often, what we will often find is a. Um, switch of addictions mm-hmm. right like a different mechanism a, a different, different way that it manifests yeah. what i know about myself is food can have that hold on me shopping not to the same extreme but when i find myself very like trying to be super diligent with my food choices i often also find myself battling not to buy new shoes and new clothes and new it's mm-hmm. almost like so there's it, something it's want to push itself out some kind of somehow. way somehow and it mm-hmm. also does that in the masturbation for me and mm-hmm. so and not so much masturbation but having an orgasm right. which is the goal of masturbation right right right, right. and so I know for me in this season of my life Mm -hmm. that God does not want me to be had by anything. Mm -hmm. And he has specifically made it very clear to me. Not only that, but some people are able to masturbate without their being, without lusting, without having uh, vain and foreign imaginations in their minds. Right? I'm not that person. The Bible is very clear about not lusting and not having vain imaginations. Mm -hmm. So for me, I also think there's something valuable and beautiful about sex that has to do with the literal physical person Mm -hmm. that you are having an intimate relationship Certainly. with and you are having sex with mm-hmm. when you start to replace that for imaginations that are not real sometimes we get very attached and tied to those imaginations mm-hmm. and so for me it was two things one i don't want to have to think about whether it's past sexual experiences I've had, because mm-hmm. they're not real. Mm-hmm. Whether it's pornography, because mm-hmm. it's certainly not real. Right. And it's not only is it not real, but it requires that's a whole nother conversation but mm-hmm. about the porn industry and mm-hmm. what is real people are doing to create fantasies for other people. Right. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But um, I didn't want to be had by any of that. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's a constant battle of being in control of my flesh. Mm-hmm. And the orgasm is another manifestation of that. Mm-hmm. Then... So for me, yes, I'm at a place in my life that do I masturbate? I try not to. Mm-hmm. When I do it, I know for me, mm-hmm. I have sinned. 
Right. I have sinned because I have disobeyed God mm -hmm. in my life. Mm -hmm. You know, do I think he'll ever allow me to do it? I don't know. But I know for right now in this season of my life, mm -hmm. you know, it's also a trust factor for me because mm -hmm. I believe that God has told me that that will be fulfilled in my relationship with my husband. Mm -hmm. So it becomes also a belief factor of me. Do I really believe I'm getting married? Mm -hmm. Do I really believe there will become a point in time where I can freely and unashamedly and not that masturbation is shame, but shame in a sense of I'm doing outside of the context of God's will for my life. Right. Do I really believe he has that for me right and i think that every time i succumb in my moments of temptation i am letting doubt enter the scene mm -hmm. of what mm -hmm. god said he had for me right you know so th that that is a process for me mm -hmm. i don't know what it's going to be like when i enter a relationship because i've never been in a relationship where i've had to resist mm -hmm. having sex and so that's a different journey for somebody else mm -hmm. and it's not my story right now right but i know that that for me would be the ultimate form in my life right now pre-marriage of having to battle that mm -hmm. nevertheless masturbation for me is like sex for somebody else right it is a way that i can get off Right. That I know God has told me no to in this context of my life. Right. You know what I'm saying? So That's for it. me, it is still, it's my battle. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's my struggle. And so I don't shame myself about it. Right. Well, the desire for me is not an unhealthy or natural or an evil in nature. Right. So when we talk about the view of sex and the view of hormones and the right. view of desire, I have, by the grace of God, and thankfully, mm -hmm. I've gotten to a place in my life that I try, this is what I try to teach young girls and even yeah. boys, but I'm mostly mentor young girls. Is that the desire is not nasty. Right. It is not dirty. Right. It is not evil in nature. Right. Now, how what you do with it and how you handle it mm -hmm. and what is most beneficial for you, mm -hmm. healthy for you, and God's will for your life is different than the presence of desiring it. Mm -hmm. You were built to desire it. Why God let us start desiring it so early? Maybe part of that is because they were getting married earlier mm -hmm. back in the day. That's a whole nother conversation. But a lot of even the structure and the concept of marriage the way that we see it now is That's not a whole nother podcast. A whole that might be like a whole series of podcasts. We don't even podcasts. talk about how disgusted I am about because all these ideas of godly marriage and, and, and that nothing reflected. Nothing to do with what God ever in, said. Never. A lot of waiting till marriage and what marriage even looks like for us now is, is, very, is very much a social construct that is not aligned at all with anything that God talked about. We were talking mm -hmm. about a, a, a holy, sanctified, God-ordained marriage yeah. and union. Yeah, that and or partnership. Or even questioning if some of the marriages in the Bible were less about God's expectation for marriage versus the bible is both a spiritual book and a historical book uh -huh, right exactly so it could talk about this was what jewish marriage looked like that doesn't mean that that was god's ordination and design for all marriages across the centuries across the history because the truth of the matter is how people are getting married in america christians mm -hmm. is not what a jewish relationship looked like and the truth of the matter is as a woman mm -hmm. i don't want a judeo uh, marriage mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying yeah, not, biblical yeah you know so exactly like, it makes all these questions of like was that just a social construct that was communicated in the bible Mm -hmm. versus what was ordained by God. Mm -hmm. Like you said, that's a whole other podcast. But as thing. Christians, we have become picky. Nitpicky. And we pick about, and choose what mm -hmm. we like, what sounds good, when we create these cultures of Christianity mm -hmm. that may not even look anything like the Bible, but because it's what we like and it's what we want and what feels good to us right now, we start to communicate it, we market it. Mm -hmm. It becomes these industries. Mm -hmm. Even as Christians, the marriage and sex and womanhood... Are, have literally become industries that people mm -hmm. build platforms and ministries and books off of and they communicate whatever sells. Mm -hmm. Let's get back to the fundamentals. How are people emotionally and psychologically being set up to handle these things and spiritually right. to handle these matters? Right. And that, that's a big question that comes up a lot of the times with the girls that I mentor. I remember one day we were listening to a song that came on and it was very sexually suggestive lyrics and the girls were singing it and it was one of those things where as an adult I listen to the song all the time and it never really occurred to me until mm -hmm. I heard young girls singing it and I was like oh my god this is not okay mm -hmm. and so with them singing it gleefully I was like we need to have a conversation around what this song is actually about what it means do you even know what it means or are you no, just singing these good. words the beat right. sounds good exactly. it's on the radio we sing it exactly so when I asked them they got they all kind of like shrunk down they were kind of um blushing yeah. and a lot of them were like honest like no i don't know and i never thought that i needed to know another girl was kind of like 
oh yeah, um, I think I know. And she sort of gave me her explanation, which was not all the way far off, mm-hmm. but some holes in her story. So mm-hmm. I began to like sort of just share with them. Ultimately what came of it was that they shared with me Yes, we've been told not to have sex, but no one's telling us how to deal with situations where we desire to have sex when boys are saying things to us Mm -hmm. about sex. Like, no one's talking to them, to your point, about Mm -hmm. how to manage their relationships such that when sex arises, either in themselves or in the context of being in these social situations, how to deal. Mm -hmm. No one's talking to them. And, And not only is no one talking to them about it, they didn't have people that they felt comfortable Mm -hmm. going to Mm -hmm. about it. So even if uh, the parent Mm -hmm. or the teacher or whomever didn't have the presence of mind to say, it's time for us to have this conversation, Mm -hmm. they didn't feel comfortable going and initiating it and asking the questions. And so in that moment, I remember making it very clear, oh, you get to come to me. Mm -hmm. This gets to be a place where we have these conversations. Mm -hmm. You know, and I just check in every now and again just to let them know that it's still a thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, it, that wasn't yeah. a stale conversation that we just had one time because mm-hmm. of whatever. Like, it's still a thing. It's still mm-hmm. available. I still invite you to be honest with me if and when it becomes time for you to do that mm-hmm. about this particular thing. Mm-hmm. And it's just, we don't have those spaces. Mm-hmm. We just don't. And I so appreciate you for being that, particularly in the context of a church setting. Mm-hmm. Because I think that is incredibly powerful. You know, I remember one time I was... Um, I was broken down from decisions I had made in my life, and I was in my uh, the car with my mentor. She said something to me that I've been in church all my life, and nobody ever said to me. Mm. And I was just broke down crying. I was like, I need to tell you something, whatever. And then she pauses and she says, she says to me, Liana, I don't need to know. But she's like, it doesn't matter. Mm. She said, I want you to know. And, it, and it, from that point, after that point, I told her, but her point was, it doesn't. She said, I don't care. She said, she said, it doesn't matter. I, I love you regardless. Mm-hmm. I still love you. And I remember years down the line, she said, I needed you to know that there was no exceptions to that statement. Mm-hmm. I needed you to know that I loved you before whatever it is you were about to tell me. And the church is supposed to be that way and it's not. And I found that truth in two places, mm-hmm. my mentor and my therapist. Mm-hmm. And I am lucky to have that. But I think so many people are journeying, wishing mm-hmm. they had that. And they're in closets lit, like sh- of shame and burdens and broke down. And I mean, mm-hmm. I had one of my students and my heart <laughs> broke for her because to me it wasn't that big of a deal. But I understand why it was that big of a deal to her because of the context she was raised in mm-hmm. and the people around her and her the pressure to be perfect, whatever she has defined that to be in her telling me, mm-hmm. I think I had to pull it out of her that her boyfriend at the time had um, had given her head, eating her out, you mm-hmm. know, and she was so broke down and over. I mean, she was crying. And I, it was like, first of all, I think part of her breakdown was like, was sharing that with me. But then the fact that like, I was so cool about it. Mm-hmm. I was like, you're okay. Like, it's fine. That's like good, me good. just talking to her, but knowing that you know she could have she could have been living with that weight yeah, and yeah. because of how sex and sexuality has been presented and whatever mm-hmm. and I was like listen if you don't want that you can stop it but we're not doing that we have a list of what makes it okay mm-hmm. you know and even like kids that are you know the church can say we love you and you no know, what the church says Jesus loves you but they, right. they don't show that same unconditional Ooh. you know like non-judgmental love you have a list of what's appropriate for yeah, her yeah yeah and she can make these mistakes because so these mistakes are on your list. Right. But if she falls outside of that list, then now you don't. She's she's an outcast and she's a black sheep of the family. And you don't know what to do. And for me, I'm like, this can't be the church of Jesus Christ. Right. And so you have kids with mm-hmm. no compass who are making all kinds of crazy decisions mm-hmm. because we didn't make their journey safe. Mm-hmm. If they could have unadulterated conversations with us they probably would actually be making different decisions with their lives certainly certainly so gosh Mm -hmm. we have said a lot today i think again i'm grateful for you creating the space that you are creating with your youth particularly in the context of church religion christianity all of the above Mm -hmm. but just in general i think it's a necessary conversation i am grateful for the me too campaign Mm -hmm. but it definitely needs to to zoom out yeah. a little bit, yeah. and so I'm I'm willing to be patient mm-hmm. with that. But also, 
I'm willing to step up and shine a light mm-hmm. on that. So I'm 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 both. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm willing okay. to call you it out, but both. I'm yeah, yeah, I'm willing to call it out, but I'm also willing to sort of allow people to have their process because I yeah. I get that we have to start somewhere. Yeah, it gets to not just be about women. Yeah, right. Like there are men who are being violated too. And yeah. So I Absolutely. get I get all of that. Absolutely. And so, but I also get that today we get but to start the with is, the women. Most of them are still being violated by men. Exactly. Certainly. Do women do the violation? Sometimes yes. women. Yes. Absolutely. And that's what I'm saying. So the conversation gets to broaden and we get to zoom out and be more inclusive about yeah. wh- who are victims of these things or survivors or whatever the language is that we're using around that. But I do also understand and honor that we have to start somewhere. And yeah. if the conversation is starting here with women sharing their stories, um, I'm happy that yeah. we get to be a container yeah. from near and far. Yes. So thank you so much for joining me um, on today. All right. So tell us where we can find you on social media. and then uh, Instagram, Twitter is at the Queen Liana, T-H-E-Q-U-E-E-N-L-I-A-N-A. That's me. Yeah, the queenly Anna and queen you certainly are. You all can find me on all the things and all the places, Twitter, Instagram, all the above, at Joy Hearts, J-O-I-H-E-A-R-T-S. If you have questions, comments, thoughts, feedback, I know this was a heavy one. I know this was a, a hard-hitting one, so I definitely want to hear from you, even if it's just to share your stories about your you know your me too stories i'm i want to again be a container and a space for you to be able to do that it may not be that you can do so widely on social media to a large and vast audience but if you do need to get it out and you don't have another place know that i'm available for you you may email me at hello at joyhearts h-e-l-l-o at joyhearts.com and all of this information will be in the show notes so you can scroll and listen so until next time cheers <laughs>